Hi there! Welcome back to the Endocrine Credible Podcast. My name is Josiah Ray, and I founded the nonprofit Endocrine Credible, whose main focus is spreading awareness on what diabetes is so that we can limit the detrimental effects associated with the perpetuation of misinformation. You can find more about that at endocrinecredible.org, but today I'll be talking about the striking correlations between mental health and diabetes. There's an obvious effect on mental health spurred from the stress that accompanies a chronic illness, especially one like diabetes, but the connection extends to places you might have never thought. In this, I'll first talk about the acute effects on mental health, then I'll talk about the chronic effects, and finally, on the perpetual loop and dips that's created between mental health and diabetes when either one slips. Nothing in the Endocrine Credible podcast should be taken as medical advice, and you should always consult with your doctor before making changes to your treatment plan. So, with that said, let's get started. The experience of a diabetes diagnosis differs for everyone, but I'm going to first talk about what many type 1 diabetics go through as their diagnosis tends to be more acute, and I think I can get my point across better using type 1 as an example. For them, over the course of maybe between, uh, usually between a week and a month, they'll notice they're having to use the restroom significantly more often, and despite chugging water throughout the day, they'll still feel dehydrated and impossibly lethargic. These symptoms often worsen until they're ultimately forced to see a doctor or oftentimes go to the emergency room. They'll stay in the hospital for a few days for doctors to get everything back to normal and eventually settle on a good treatment plan for them. This all can happen in the course of a few days, learning life-changing information, all while being expected to learn how to manage it. This results in what's colloquially known as information fatigue, a term coined by social scientist Georg Simmel, who postulated that the overload of information presented by the modern world can create jaded and insensitive people who become incapable of making logical decisions. I'll I'll cite uh, Keith L. Crin's article, President's Message, Information Overload in Our Polarized Society, published in the Journal of Environmental Health in 2011. In this article, Crin describes the allure of ease with the rise of technology, being able to communicate with people at the touch of a button. But he goes on to describe that with time, more and better innovation came with more and overwhelmingly more information. Those innovations were critical for mankind, but the sea of information that accompanied it was fatiguing for the everyday person to sort through. But again, these innovations were necessary for the progression of mankind, and this is similar to what many diabetics face when they're first diagnosed. They're presented with one aspect of their illness that is easy to understand, and just as they get a hang of that, they're presented with two or three more aspects, and in the blink of an eye, they're suddenly juggling 16 different things on top of the modern human. Again, these aspects are important to, uh, to adequately maintain their health, but it is, doesn't take away from how mentally fatiguing that is. This often results in making decisions quickly so as to make more decisions in a shorter amount of time, often resulting in less logical decisions, decisions in relationship, time management, and work. Further, by not stopping to recognize the world around us and our impact on it, our self-love, self-worth, and self-appreciation often take a nosedive. For most people, they see their physical health as more important than their mental health and don't allocate time to focus on the mental health, on their mental health. But the solution isn't as simple as worrying about your diabetes less and focusing on your mental health more. In my case, I wasn't diagnosed in a hospital. While this minimized the initial trauma and overload generally associated with a diabetes diagnosis, the trade-off was less education about my illness and thus I had poorer control over my diabetes. This case isn't all too uncommon, especially when it comes to people diagnosed with type 2 diabetes. Because their onset is generally less acute, they're uncommonly diagnosed in a hospital and thus more and, then, and thus, most information they get is uh, ends up coming from a doctor's visit. 
In a study published in the Journal of Family and Community Medicine in 2018, only 19.8% of type 2 diabetic participants had a follow-up with a diabetes dietitian, despite the approximate 1.2-point decrease in HbA1c associated with doing so. If you're not aware, HbA1c is a common measurement used by doctors to measure general blood glucose control over about a three-month period, and a 1.2-point decrease was associated with 14% better glycemic control. A1c is generally a debated uh, measurement because it it doesn't adequately measure a person's glycemic control, but it is significant. It it, it has some credence, and it's significant that there was a total of a 1.2 point decrease in this study, and that leads into the dilemma. It seems you're either hospitalized and forced to deal with information overload for the benefit of a better understanding of your illness and subsequently a better better control over your illness or you're not hospitalized and end up undereducated while being allowed to undergo a longer less stressful learning curve you end up sacrificing ideal mental health in the process for many it ends up being an ultimatum between mental and physical health i believe the best solution would be widespread education before diagnosis this would help in a couple of ways firstly it lessens the learning curve needed when they are diagnosed um, they as in diabetics and secondly it could allow for earlier diagnosis and allow someone who's diagnosed to take their time to learn all of the main facets of diabetes because an early diagnosis means their illness isn't yet at the state where rapid and totally holistic treatment is necessary to maintain ideal health but unfortunately this isn't the case in today's world and for the vast majority of people very few people are educated on diabetes before their diagnosis and this results in missing key symptoms or approaching their illness in a totally incorrect light Still, that's only a possible remedy for the immediate and acute effects of a diabetes diagnosis on mental health. And there are so present chronic effects. And it's important that we cover what those are. And that's what I'm going to go into right now. Many people treat their illness based on the overpopularized image of control. Eating cinnamon, starting your morning on a treadmill, and drinking green smoothies. While all of those things can be considered healthy, variation from this infomercial-esque diabetic exist and are common. I'd like to reference a phenomenon, a phenomenon in mathematics. If you're not great at math, that's okay. This is a pretty simple topic to grasp. It's just averages. Imagine a class of 20 students takes a test. Their average score on the test is a 70. And for most, the initial understanding that of this average is that the majority of students got about a 70 on the test. While that is possible, it's also possible that 10 students scored a 100 on the test and 10 students scored a 40. Averages simple t simply tell you what that middle number is, but it doesn't account for the variations between cases, which is important because in this scenario, half of the class made a very poor score, and it's important to approach those students who made a poor score differently than those who scored a perfect score. This is similar to what's happening in these pitches to eat cinnamon or take a certain vitamin so as to improve blood sugar control. The people making these pitches have likely looked at some data from a study, grabbed an arbitrary data point, and came to a conclusion without any context. Very rarely do these pitches come from studies with conclusive evidence. Let's take a look at the cinnamon example, uh, which is actually an example with more believable data. Many people will claim that cinnamon can help stabilize blood sugar and lower your A1C. This idea comes from a 2003 study published in Diabetes Care by Alam Khan, among others, with a relatively small sample size, which interestingly enough did not have any type 1 diabetics in this participant pool. I will say that the results were interesting. 30 type 2 diabetics took either a placebo, 1 gram of cinnamon, 3 grams of cinnamon, or 6 grams of cinnamon daily. After 40 days, everyone who had taken the cinnamon supplement had lower glucose, triglycerides, lower low-density lipoprotein, or LDL, or bad pro uh, cholesterol, and total lower total cholesterol levels. 
while placebo groups saw no change in these areas. Again, it's interesting, but it was a small study that we can't actually draw a reasonable conclusion from, as there were only 30 participants. But of course, in true American fashion, multiple companies took the study and ran with it, pitching their cinnamon supplements as the godsend for diabetes control, ignoring the fact that the study itself mentioned that diabetes had multifactorial causes and needed multifactorial treatment. Three subsequent studies found similar results, which gives credence to the idea that cinnamon may actually help overall blood sugars. But even within these studies, researchers noted that the findings would be difficult to apply to individuals because the amount of cinnamon and duration of time the cinnamon was taken differed between studies. And never did any of these studies actually study the long-term effects associated with taking the cinnamon supplements. All of this, while some studies found no benefit or even a possible negative effect from a compound found in cinnamon. What does this mean for diabetics and their mental health in the long run? People try to control their diabetes through these things that are supposedly backed by science, and when they don't significantly help, there's an overwhelming sense of failure. A lot of these infomercials or web ads can make it look like controlling diabetes is as easy as popping a cinnamon supplement or walking around a track a couple of times, but they fail to recognize the variation between cases. That some people don't need to lose weight to control their diabetes, and that some people do. Or that people have varying insulin sensitivities and insulin production. For some people, it's more difficult to control their diabetes, and pitching these blanket solutions rarely help and especially hurt the people who are willing to try just about anything to avoid the societal condemnation of those living with diabetes. Which leads into another chronic effect on mental health. Shame. In a study done in 2013 conducted by Jessica L. Brown and colleagues published in BMJ Journals, participants described type 2 diabetics in a few ways. Fat, obese, overweight, big fat pig, lazy, slothful, couch potato, overeater, and gluttonous were a few of those ways. This was a study done in Australia, though in the age of the internet, misconceptions spread quickly, and from personal experience, I'd say this stigma exists in the United States as well. The study had participants describe type 2 diabetics, and I couldn't find any studies researching the public's perception on the difference between type 1 and type 2 diabetes. So again, I'll have to draw from personal experience to say that the majority of the public doesn't know the difference between the two, and the misconceptions and stigma associated with type 2 diabetes likely extend to everyone living with diabetes. So what happens when diabetics are put at fault for their illness? They hide it to avoid the stigma. They'll avoid getting useful tools because those tools might be more visible, such as insulin pumps and CGMs. They'll avoid checking their blood sugar because even though they might feel that it's high or low, they don't want to be seen as a big fat pig, or they don't want to be seen as a bother to other people who might see it as gross. It spreads into healthcare as well. Dr. Sanjay Gupta wrote in Everyday Health that because diabetics tend to be obese and the illness was seen as a self-induced illness for such a large portion of history, healthcare today still sees it as such. In the aforementioned study published in BMJ Journals, a woman recalled her experience with a dietitian. Quote, she asked me if I exercised, and I said, I do the gym twice a week, and I have consistently since November. That's not enough, the dietitian said. You need to go five times a week. This makes me feel angry, she said. Empathy seems to be a dying trait, and diabetics are especially aware of this, so they'll hide it, damaging both their mental health and physical health in the process. Have you ever done something huge just to realize you did it wrong, or have it lost or destroyed? I'll admit I had this speech scripted twice and both files ended up corrupted. You'll probably understand that failing once makes starting again even harder. It'll feel like all of that work you've done went down the drain. Diabetics feel this on a pretty regular basis. They'll have perfectly steady blood sugars and out of nowhere there's a spike. Sometimes, though, this spike causes a dip in motivation. They'll give up. 
This moment is often referred to as diabetes burnout. There are multiple things that can cause diabetes burnout, sometimes not even related to blood sugar. Maybe it's just frustration with checking your blood sugar or changing your insulin infusion site. Regardless of what causes it, it's all the more taxing. You might recall me speaking on how a focus on your physical health can often take away from your mental health, and it's the same the other way around. When everything becomes too much to handle, every th- uh, your mental health demands attention and it takes away from your focus to physical health. In these moments of burnout, many people will neglect to care for themselves, and I've done it plenty of times, but this leaves us in a very sensitive and vulnerable position. This is at a point where our physical health will likely take a nosedive because our mental health is at its lowest point. If we have an emergency with our physical health, we'll lack the motivation to tend to it. And when our physical health nosedives, it hammers the nail of guilt and overwhelming pressure into us, digging us deeper and deeper into this deep hole. But if we're lucky, we'll eventually safely get out of that rut, but we'll inevitably fall right back in it if we can't learn how to balance our mental health and our physical health, which many diabetics have trouble doing because of how taxing both are. Society's misconceptions surrounding diabetes make this balance so much more difficult to find, and many of us diabetics have a hard time dealing with it. If you're a diabetic, or even if you're not, the best thing you can do is to recognize the importance of both your physical and mental health, and remember to periodically check in with both. I know that's easier said than done, but it's the first step in avoiding those ruts we get into. If you're not a diabetic, you can help with this process by learning what diabetes is and squashing any of those harmful misconceptions you might have. Wide-scale alteration of public perception has to start somewhere, and you very well might be the start to that change. All you have to do is take that first step. Endic Incredible is currently run primarily by three people, and the podcast is just me. Funding is thin as fundraising events are difficult to run safely during the pandemic, so a lot of the funding required to keep the nonprofit afloat is coming from me, which I'm happy to do. But if you have the time and money to help, a donation which can be made at endocrinecredible.org forward slash donate would be greatly appreciated. Sharing this podcast and getting the word out is also an amazing help to our cause. If you're interested in sharing your experience with diabetes, either as someone living with it or who has affected by it in some way, or if you're just looking to get involved in some way, you can send an email to directors at endocrinecredible.org. Several sources were mentioned in this episode, all of which you can find in the show notes, as well as several other sources used to research the topic. This podcast episode also discussed mental health, which is an increasing issue within the diabetes community. If you or someone you know is struggling, I've linked several resources in the show notes. Know that you aren't alone and your feelings are 100% valid and there is a community that is willing to listen.